0: Last week, I started this message series called The Long and the Short of It, and I told you about the fact that this longest psalm, longest chapter in the Bible, is Psalm 119. And I explained to you that what it is is actually a relationship. You see, it's a relationship between the person who wrote the psalm and God's word. The idea that there's this loving, real, genuine relationship that he has with God, and it's it's just really just shown through the example of living a life of, of being a follower of Christ, and it really just shows exactly what what all of us will go through as believers. And I really challenge you guys to start reading your Bible. Has anybody started to read your Bible? Okay. That was really weak. (laughs) Really, really weak. So I really want to challenge you more and again to read your Bible because that's how you're actually going to know God's voice and grow in your faith. So today we're actually going to talk about the shortest chapter in the Bible, which is 117. And what it is, it's a psalm that is literally like short and sweet, but gets right to the point of things. And I love it, because it tells us what to do in verse 1, but it tells us why we should do it in verse 2. And it starts out in the same way that it ends, with the words, praise the Lord. So I want to read it to you. Psalm 117 says, Praise the Lord, all you nations. Praise him, all you people of the earth, for his unfailing love for us is powerful. The Lord's faithfulness endures forever. Praise the Lord. You're like, what can you get out of that? There's lots in that little tiny psalm. It's a psalm that really invites anyone, anywhere, no matter who you are, that you can come to God And that your praises are welcome to him. That he would welcome to hear them from you. So that's really important. But these psalms, I read to um, 119, or we didn't read it actually, we discussed it. But the psalms from 113 through 118 are actually really important psalms. What they're called is the halal psalms. And the word halal is a word that actually is part of the word hallelujah. Which means we think praise the Lord, Right? This idea that we hear this word all the time. You'll hear people in churches, they'll say something, they'll go, hallelujah, hallelujah, which in other words means praise the Lord. But these Hallel Psalms are not just the idea that we would simply say just those simple words, praise the Lord, and that there's enough in that. There's actually more to that definition. The word Hallel actually means the fact that we would be clamorously foolish, that we would actually be boastful, that we would brag about what God's done, that we would be so thankful to him for what he's done in our lives that we would be so outspoken that we would tell others of what God's done for us. And, you know, those psalms are interesting because they have such history that those same psalms that of 117 through 118, that the disciples and Jesus could have actually read them, sang them, recited them before he actually like spent time together in the Last Supper, before Jesus went to the cross himself. So when we read this, we're actually reading something that Jesus himself could have really recited right before he died for our sins. These psalms were really important to those people, the Israelites. They were sung because it was a time where they would think back and they would think about Passover. They would think about what they were saved from. And they would think about the fact of these Israelites who were taken to Egypt, were slaves, and then they were released. And Passover, what is, is Passover is a celebration, the fact that all these plagues came, that they wanted to, you know, release the Israelites back, you know, God wanted to take them to the promised land. And all these plagues came, and then finally the last plague is the fact that God says, you know, it's going to be the final end, that I'm going to kill all the firstborn males, And that Egyptian's people. And he said, the Israelites, he says, if you would take a perfect pure lamb and you would sacrifice it and you would put the, the blood of the lamb upon your doorpost, then the angel of death when it passes through, you wouldn't you wouldn't have a firstborn son that would die. You would be spared. So what Passover is is really a remembrance of all that that took place. It's a remembrance of the fact that God offers that to us. And the same exact experience, see, the thing is, when people say they don't read the Bible, you miss out so much because that's exactly what Jesus did then, right? Jesus bled on the cross, the perfect lamb, the lamb of God. He died for us, and when we put his blood on the doorposts of us, we ourselves are saved. We're saved from certain death. So this, this psalm, this little tiny psalm of 117, it has so much to say. What it does in the first praise is it actually just thanks God for the things he's done. But maybe, you know, you, you raise your hand or you sing or you, you say something out loud. But the second praise that's mentioned, like I said, it tells people to boast, to applaud, to yell out loud, to brag. Actually brag to other people about what God has done in your life. And I think this is where we're missing out. I think so many people are so silent about what God's done in their life. They tell no one. There's no one hears about the good things that God's done. I started out telling you about my wonderful kids, the fact that I have grandchildren. You know how thankful I am, how blessed I am that God's done that for me? I look at that as a complete gift from God. I am thankful to him every day that I get up and I can say, thank you for my kids. I can look at the time, every single time I look upon the clock, and at 6.06, I say, thank you for my daughter. That's when she was born. Thank you, God. Because it was such blessings that God bestowed on me. The grandkids, God says the rewards, the rewards. I know sometimes you look at your grandkids, and maybe your kids, and you're like, there's no reward. They are rewards. (laughs) They are rewards, no matter how tired you are. I'm tired. I spent the whole day with them, and I said to my husband, I said, my toes hurt. My toes hurt. How do my toes hurt? But they do. But, you know, this idea of hello, the idea that we would boast and be thankful for the things that God's done for us, it's important. And, you know, the one person that really understood praising God because of what he was to what he became was David. David was nothing but a mere shepherd boy, and he became the king. He became a king over everyone else because God chose him, and he chose to do something great through him. So David knew that God had done something to him In his life, so personally, and I want to read you that it's in Second Samuel six sixteen through twenty two. It says, "As the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michael, daughter of Saul, watched from the window, and when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him with all her heart." They brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent that David had pitched for it, and David sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings before the Lord. After he had finished sacrificing the burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord Almighty. Then he gave a loaf of bread, a cake of dates, and a cake of raisins to each person in the whole crowd of Israelites, both men and women. And all the people went to their homes. When David returned home to bless his household, Michael, daughter of Saul, came out to meet him and said, how the king of Israel has distinguished himself today. This is sarcasm in its finest, guys. How the king of Israel has distinguished himself today, going around half naked in full view of the slave girls of his servants as any vulgar fellow would. And David said to Michael these words, it was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father or anyone from this house when he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people, Israel. Sounds pretty boastful, doesn't it? Amen. (laughs) He was boastful. Yes, God chose me. And he says, I will celebrate before the Lord. I will become even more undignified than this. And I will be humiliated in my own eyes. But by these slave girls you spoke of, I'll be held in honor. This is where we're missing it, guys. I've watched some of you's worship. You'll look like statues. You're statues. You're literally like this. I mean, you're lucky that we tell you to stand up because you probably wouldn't stand. You probably wouldn't even do that. But the thing is, God says if God's done something for you in your life, don't you deserve to praise him for it? Shouldn't you be raising your hand and thanking him? You know, this is not something um, new. This is old. This is Old Testament, old school thinking. People would raise their hand and worship to God. That's how they praised him. You know, we, we miss out. We don't really thank him visibly. We don't boastfully say the things that God's done. We don't share that information. God's changed my life. I want to tell others about what he's done for me. You know, that's what true halal means. Basically, praising God vocally, raising your hand, worshiping him that way. Not just a simple quiet praise the lord. Praise the lord. What? What? Praise the lord. Praise the lord. Praise the Lord. God is good. He is good to us, and he's done great things for us. Hallelujah, what it should be is it should scream out devotion to him. It should just scream out the devotion, total devotion. It should, you know, really just yell out commitment. It should yell out dedication, the great love, the thankfulness. And it should never be dampened down. It should never be quieted. It should never be silenced. It should be so boldly on your lips. When you tell others or you show others just through your life of what he's done for you. I think so many times we are just silent. We go to church. Maybe you really do read your Bible and you see something. But for some reason we get in a crowd of people or we get around family and friends sometimes. and We're just silent. We don't share what God's done. The things he's changed in our life. I mean, I look back and I think, wow. We sang that song that says, no longer mortals, we're royals. We're royals. We are sons and daughters of the Most High God. God says that he puts us on the same level. Do you guys understand? Jesus died for us, but Jesus was first. Jesus showed us the way he is a brother in Christ. We are just as blessed. We get to do everything Jesus did. How awesome, guys. You think about the fact that your life was headed to eternal destruction. You were going... To go to hell. And God instead put his blood on your doorpost. So you now get to go spend eternity with your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and walk among heaven hand in hand with God. How amazing is that? You know, I look at nature sometimes and I'll just look at it and think how beautiful nature is. God's given us so much as sinners. Look what the beauty he gives us and bestows on us as sinners here making our choices. Can you imagine what heaven is going to be like? Heaven is going to be glorious. You get to go there. If you have faith in God, if you've actually accepted Jesus as a, as a Savior, if you've said, forgive me of my sins, I make you Lord of my life, that's all you have to do is whisper those words, and he says, I change your destiny. That's so awesome. But sometimes we're just silent. We tell no one nothing about what God's done. Well, John and Peter, they experienced this whole situation of following Jesus around. They, they followed him there. They saw him performing miracles. They saw him changing people's lives. They saw Jesus change their own life. And they couldn't help but keep telling others about how God was so good. So they have this experience where they actually go, and there's a beggar outside the gates, and he says, you know, Can you give me something? He says, I have no silver nor gold, but I can give you a healing in the name of Jesus. So this this paralyzed man is healed. He jumps up. He stands for the first time. This is a person that they've seen, you know, laying there on a mat, laying there not able to get up for years and years and years. And all of a sudden, this man is standing there. And, of course, the leaders were not happy. They're like, zip it. No longer tell anybody about how God is so good or that Jesus can save or Jesus can heal. Don't tell anybody. So they bring Peter and John in and they go to the leaders. and The leaders say, stop talking. Stop talking. Tell no one else about this Jesus. They wanted them to stop talking. Don't tell others about how God can change their lives. But Peter and John had this experience when they spoke to the leaders, and it says this in Acts 4, 9 through 20. It says, If we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this. You and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, who you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected. See, I'll tell you, there's boldness there. He said, you crucified, you rejected, is what he said to them, which has now become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind but which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, like I said, mortals to royals, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then conferred together. What are we going to do with these men? They asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows that they have performed a notable sign, and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach it all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we, what we have seen and what we have heard. Did you guys see anything? Have you heard anything? Then why are you keeping quiet about it? Why are you being silent? Why are you not telling others? I really think the message of Jesus Christ a lot of times is just stifled. It's muffled by people who say that they love Jesus. We don't say that God's changed our lives to to people. We don't tell them. We keep it to ourselves. And that's exactly what these disciples did opposite. This is why the message of Christ traveled so far in such a little spot where it went throughout the world, because these people could not be silenced. Yet we are. We should be doing no less. We should let our praises to God be heard. When we come together, we should sing as loud as possible. We should raise our hands as much as possible. We should bow down. We shouldn't be ashamed of the message of Christ and what he's done for us. If you feel as though you should bow, I'm going to tell you, don't ever look around at your neighbors around you and think, if God's telling you to bow, bow down. If God's telling you to raise your hand, raise your hand. These people sitting next to you should never, ever stop you from what doing what God tells you to do. Well, we should be telling others about God's goodness and we should speak it, shout it, sing it. If it's not for God's unfailing love, guys, none of us would be saved from our sins. I want to go back to that, that scripture again. Praise Psalm 117, praise the Lord, all you nations. Praise him, all you people of the earth, for his unfailing love for us is powerful. The Lord's faithfulness endures forever. Praise the Lord. He has unfailing love his love for us is amazing, life-changing, destiny-altering. His love deserves praise. I think we think that we understand what love is, but we really just have a small glimpse of what love is. I think that's why God gives us children and God gives us grandchildren because he understands the love that we feel. It's, it's somewhat magnified, even more than it is for your spouse. And I know you guys that have kids, you're like... Don't believe it. I love my spouse so much that it could never be better. It can. You look in your kids' eyes, and you look in your grandkids' eyes, and there's just something about it. It just multiplies. It's just amazing what you feel, this love that you have for them. But this love that we feel, it's just a small pittance of what God feels for you. God loves so much. It's just amazing. I mean, God loves... Us so much that he gave his only son to us to die for us but the truth is in first john 419 it says we love because he first loved us we wouldn't even know what love is if it wasn't for the fact that god made us in his image that's the only reason why we understand and we even have that emotion of love is because god created us and he has love You know, our our love for others a lot of times is dependent on how they treat us, isn't it? We can love somebody if they are really cruel, if they're hurtful, if they're mean, if they abandon us. Our love can be altered, our love can change. We can start to pull back from them and not want to show them as much love. But the thing is, God never does that to us. God never changes or alters his love. He loves you because he loves you because he loves you. And I want you to read your Bible and I want you to praise God. But I could do those things and I could be doing all those things and it looks good. And you could be out there, have never read God's word and you've never raised your hand and never praised God. And you know what? God loves me as much as he still loves you. There's nothing we can do to change God's love. He doesn't love me more because I do something. He doesn't love you less because you don't. Now, we should praise him, but his love is unchanging. His love is unfailing. He just loves us because he loves us. We're his children. There's things that I've not liked my kids doing when they were growing up or or something that they've said I didn't like. It never changes your love for them. Your love is there. God loves us because he's chose to do so. He loves you when you don't feel lovable. When you feel as you failed him, he still loves you. He loves you when no one else loves you. He loves you when other people have abandoned you. Those other people might do that. God will never abandon you. Romans 9.25 in the message translation says, I'll call nobodies and make them somebodies. I'll call the unloved and I'll make them loved. That love is amazing I look back and I think wow that love was so real offered to us and I think you know what God gives us a glimpse sometimes of, of the love he, he offers and we take it and we start to like you know recognize every day the gift that he gives us a little bit more that he offers us and we just think how can we not just pour praises upon him thankfulness for him you know, God's love is so real and so genuine. It's just amazing. When I look back and I think the love that God's shown me, all those years of, of really failing until I was like 28 where God actually offered him, said, okay, you've done enough wrong. Today's your day. You're going to reach out to me and you're going to change it. When I came to Christ, I remember walking away thinking, was that a real thing? And then over time, God started showing me some real things that he was doing in my life, changing my family, changing my husband. And I thought, yeah, God was real, and he's good. And he deserves much praise. So God's love is so real, and he offers it to you today. Today, if you've never accepted Jesus, do it today. I can tell you it be the first step of altering your destiny, altering your life, changing things for you. The other thing I want to bring up, let me read Psalm 117 again to you. It says, praise the Lord, all you nations. Praise him, all you people of the earth, for his unfailing love for us is powerful. The Lord's faithfulness endures forever. Praise the Lord. So what I want to talk to you about now is the fact that his faithfulness, it endures forever. It is a forever faithfulness. Faithfulness in Hebrew means unshakable. God's character, his promises, they're unshakable and they're forever. The things he says that he's going to do for us, he will do for us. He will never, ever walk away from us. He will always stay in our lives. If he promises something's going to happen in your life, it'll happen. If you really, truly believe that God's going to do something, God's promised you something, he will do it. I can tell you something that I 100% know this is true and why this is real. The last church we were at, when we were building the sanctuary, we had this opportunity was just all cement floors. And we had this opportunity, we could all come in that were part of the church and we could write down our hopes and desires, our praises, people's names that we wanted to see saved. Lots of people's names that I know that have been there, that are written down there. But I can tell you that when I was there, I wrote, Cameron will be a pastor. This is when he was probably 15. Cameron became a pastor. There we go. His promises are there. It's like God put that in my heart. I knew Cameron was supposed to be a pastor. Cameron was supposed to be a speaker and tell people about God's goodness. And I believed it. And his promises are yes and amen. If he promises something to us, we can trust that it's going to happen. We can trust that we have eternity planned for us, that he's going to make a place for us. When he left, when he comes back for us, his word says not only did he leave and go make a place, but he's coming back for his faithful people. He's going to come back for us and take us away and let us go live in eternity with him. We're not going to go through turmoil and and, and horrible torture. I don't believe that. I think God has always offered an escape to those people. You see the ark. You see so many times with Moses, he gave the little ark in the water to let him escape. I really believe that's how God is so good, that he's going to let us escape also. But his promises are he's coming back for us. That in itself should be praise on your lips. The fact that he's not going to leave us here. He's going to come back for us. But he promises that if we seek him, he's going to forgive us. And it says that in 1 John 1, 9, it says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. That he's going to offer that to you. If we draw near to him, his word says he'll draw near to us. It says in James 4, 8, come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. I think the part that really probably frustrates me the most as a believer and follower of God, not just as a pastor, but just a fellow believer and follower of God, is the people that I see come to God, never truly commit to God, Never truly read God's word. Never really truly pray to God. Never really do the things that God wants us to, like praise him. And then they walk away and said, did nothing for me. Well, no doubt. You missed all of it. I don't think you even got a bit of what God wanted you to do. So don't sit there and say it didn't work for you because you didn't even do it in the first place. Also, he says he will never leave us or forsake us. Deuteronomy 31, six says, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. So when you're down in the pits, when you've been a, a, a believer and a follower and you're going through tough times, he says, I'm not going to leave you there alone. I'm going to be there beside you. I'm going to help you get out of that pit. I'm going to put you back on your feet. You can trust in me. Just keep reaching out to me. You know, this series, this long and the short of it, what it does is it shows us that we can be assured of the word of God and also the God of his word. See, that point, the fact that when we read God's word, it tells us things, and we can trust that those things are real, but also the God of the word, the character of God is real and genuine, and we can trust that same character of that God that's in the word of God. And I think he deserves all the praise that we can give him. I mean, look at the life that we could have, and he changes it all. I think the problem is that we won't do what it says in verse 1 if we don't truly grasp and experience what it says in verse 2. We won't, if we don't understand the fact that what God's done, and we don't even start to raise our hands and do those things, I don't know if we ever get to the point where we actually start boasting about it. I think it's an open door. It's this idea that when we raise our hand and we start doing those things and we praise God, I think God just expounds this grace upon us. It opens our mind and it enlightens us more to how good God is. I think it just kind of expands it in our minds. The worship team's going to come up, and we're going to get started to uh, finish up with a song when we take communion. You know, communion is a powerful thing. We don't do communion all the time. And I think a lot of times people are thrown by that, but really anything that we do can become just habit, rote. Something that we do because the fact that we've always done it over and over again. See, communion is actually really powerful, but God actually just says, do it in remembrance of me, is what he says. So when we actually celebrate communion, what we do is we actually go back and we remember the Last Supper that Jesus spent with his disciples, right? But when they actually experienced the Last Supper, what they did was they were remembering Passover. They remember that ex- experience of Jesus, you know, of God coming and, and saving them from their sins, their sins. They're giving them a future, a life, that they wouldn't have death, certain death. When we come together and we celebrate communion, we do the exact same thing. It's a remembrance. A remembrance of what God has personally done for each one of you in your life. What God has done for you, if he saved you, if he saved and changed your destiny. When we come forward and we take communion, what we do is remember God's goodness personally for each one of us. It shouldn't be, I mean, we all do it together as a community, but it should be so personalized. It should be something that we really truly think upon. You know, communion is an opportunity where we can just really thank God for dying on the cross for us, for shedding his blood for us. And I think we think back about the fact that the Psalms, Psalm 113 through 118, when we read Psalm 117 again praise the Lord, all you nations, praise him, all you people of the earth. For his unfailing love for us is powerful, the Lord's faithfulness endures forever, praise the Lord. To think that Jesus himself could have actually recited those same words, that to me is powerful. The fact that we can actually read those words that Jesus probably said himself before he went to die on the cross for us. I think it's really kind of full circle. It kind of gives us an opportunity to see that God really offers us such truth, such real experience of changing our lives. Well, let me read for you. Um, I'm going to read for you the the chapter where it talks about communion. I want you to know when you come up, when we take and we listen to the song. I want you to personally reflect on your personal faith in Christ, and I want you to like listen. I want you to praise God. Stretch yourself a bit. But when we're praising God and you're thanking him for things, when you feel it's time for you to come up, just come up and, and take the bread and take the, take the, the juice and, and go back to your, your chair. And, and you take it when you feel as though you really thank God or you really are just are, are praising for the things he's done in your life. Well, let me finish with this. Luke 22, 14 through 20 says, When the time came, Jesus and the apostles sat down together at the table. Jesus said, I have been very eager to eat this Passover meal with you before my suffering begins. For I tell you now that I won't eat this meal again until its meaning is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. He said, take this and share it among yourselves, for I will not drink wine again until the kingdom of God has come. He took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples, saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And after supper, he took another cup of wine and said, This cup is a new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. If you've never accepted Jesus as your Savior, if you're new and you've never done that, it's simple. Just close your eyes and ask God to forgive you of your sins and start to put him as number one in your life, and you're welcome to come to the table and remember how good he is to you. If you've been a believer for years and years and years, Make it fresh in your mind what he's done for you again.